Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today is The Stacks Book Club Day. That's right. We are joined again by Pulitzer Prize winner and author Mitchell S. Jackson. We're talking about the 2018 post-apocalyptic pandemic novel Severance by Ling Ma. The book follows Candace Chen before and after an incurable infection gradually wipes out all of civilization, and we dive into the similarities between this book and COVID, the critique of capitalism, and that ending. Holy cow. All right, y'all, there are spoilers on today's episode, so if you haven't read the book, pause now, read the book, come back and listen. At the end of today's episode, I will announce our December book club pick. So make sure you listen all the way to the end to find out what book we will be ending 2023 with. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love this show and you want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. That's our community of bookish people who have extremely good taste. If I do say so myself, I mean, hello, they do like this podcast, so they're geniuses. It's only $5 a month to join and you earn perks like access to our Discord channel, our virtual monthly book club meetups, bonus episodes, and more. Plus, if you're a member of the Stacks Pack at the end of this year, you will get access to my extremely detailed and fantastic and perfect, amazing reading tracker. So yes, go to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the Stacks Pack. All right, now it is time for my spoiler-filled conversation with Mitchell S. Jackson about the novel Severance by Ling Ma. All right, everybody. I am so excited. It is the Stacks Book Club Day. We are joined again by Pulitzer Prize winning author. His newest book is called Fly. It's a book about basketball fashion. You remember him from earlier this month. It is Mitchell S. Jackson. Mitchell, welcome back to the Stacks. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm so excited. Um, So it's book club day. We're talking about Severance by Ling Ma. If you're listening to us right now and you have not read the book, please know we are going to be doing spoilers. So stop listening if you don't want to know what happens. (laughs) Um, And let me give everybody like a quick background on the book and then we'll dive in. So Severance is a 2018 novel. It is a post-pandemic sort of post-apocalyptic 
uh, novel about a fever. It centers a character named Candace Chen. She survives the fever. It's her. She's with a group of other survivors. They're trying to figure it out. It's also giving flashbacks of her life as a person who makes Bibles, who works for a company that makes Bibles, uh, and her dating life and her family, her parents who are immigrants from China. So it's sort of a flashback, flash forward kind of book. I did it. Okay. We always start here. Mitchell, just generally, what did Uh you think of the book? Um, I really like this book a lot. I, so, so, uh, I guess as by way of, uh, being uh, forthcoming with information. Ling and I were colleagues at University of Chicago. Oh, cool. Uh, just for a year, and we actually never met because she was on... <laughs> uh, I was there during the pandemic, which we can also oh, talk about. okay. And Ling was on um, a sabbatical. Oh, okay. Uh, but, but this novel strikes me as the a kind of novel that would come out of a University of Chicago student. Ooh, what yeah. what what makes you say that? What is a University of Chicago book like? I think from my brief time there, again during okay. the pandemic, <laughs> uh, that they're really curious students mm-hmm. uh, and faculty as well. Like she was a student there, and then she she taught while I was there. Okay, and I think that they're they're like there's a kind of rigor, like they they always tout how they they love like lunchtime not arguments, but like real debates, right? Mm, so it's, okay. a, it's a school, I think that prides itself on its intellectualism, probably more than any other school in the country because it's mm. not an Ivy, right? But right. then it's, it's it tries to maintain a higher prestige than the Ivies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's a, this model was a lot of things, but it's also really heady and it takes on a lot of different subjects. And yeah. there's a lot of, Kind of cultural references and illusions. So that's what made me think like, oh, I can see this coming out of that kind of mm. thinking and curiosity. I see. Okay, let me give you my overall and then we'll dive in. So I started this book and I could not stay awake. Every five pages, I would fall asleep. Yeah. I don't know what it, the prologue totally hooked me. And then every five pages, I would fall asleep. And then I got about a third of the way into the book, like maybe like page 70. And then I finished it in like a day and a half. I Hmm. really liked her writing even when I was falling asleep, but there was something about the jumping back and forth in the beginning that I really struggled with. However, when I finished the book, I was like, oh my God, I have to go back to the beginning because I know I miss things. And I really, like, I really liked the book. And and I'm, you know, I, t- I think we talked about this. I'm not like super into fiction. And so sometimes I struggle with fiction, but everything about this book, I really liked, except for I, for some reason, like could not get into it at the start. Um, mm. So I don't know. It's like, it's like one of those weird experiences that I've had with the book that I really liked, but for whatever reason, there was like a thing that didn't work for me. This has happened before on the show and I still can't quite figure out what it was that was making me sleepy at the start, but mm-hmm. I, I really liked it. Like I didn't think I was going to like it. I thought I was going to be like, Oh shit, I have to get on here and talk shit about a book. And then yeah. by the end I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm with you. I think maybe I didn't, I couldn't connect with Candace at first. Uh-huh. Like I, I couldn't quite figure her out. And so I kept like dropping off because she's so much the center, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to ask you why 
you wanted to do this book? Because I sent over a list of like 10 titles and this is the one you picked. So what was it about Severance that was exciting or interesting to you? Uh, man, there's a, a lot of reasons. One, I, I had heard about the, well, one, she was my colleague and I right. feel like, be, not beholden, but I feel a responsibility to know mm-hmm. the work of my colleagues as much yeah. as I can. So I, I felt that, um, I actually just, not just now, a few years ago, signed with FSG. So now we share an editor and Jenna. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting for me to see her sensibilities, what I imagined would be Jenna's sensibilities and mm-hmm. what kind, what like what she could do with this mm-hmm. kind of work, right? So I'm I'm also learning. I, I mean, I, I mentioned in our interview last time, right? Like I, I never read for yeah. pleasure. So <laughs> this, this, I'm reading this whole thing as a writer. Uh, right. and, and a really selfish writer in that way because I want to know how Jenna edits. I want to know how Lean thinks. Um, I'm interested in the structure, the back and forth. I was interested in the prologue and the voice of it. And I had started reading Bliss Montage oh, before yeah. I read this. So, oh, okay. I, so I had a sense of some of her short fiction and the things that she could do in short fiction. So I was really excited because I think Lean is an inventive writer and, and has a great imagination. So there were a lot of things that made me, and then, you know, wanting to go back to the beginning, right? Like if you start with Bliss, you're like, oh, well, I, I caught her yeah. on the second go around. Um, and and also, <laughs> again, the writer in me is like, I'm working on a novel. So mm. why wouldn't I want to read another novel? I think there's, you know, you say you don't read a lot of novels, but the novel was like, it can do anything, Right. And I think yeah. this book is a good example of even though it's pretty short of a novel that does a lot of different things. Yeah. This book does a lot of different things. Yeah. <laughs> she talks about I mean, I was like, t- I mean, I guess we should just dive in. Yeah. OK. <clears throat> Here's my first question for you. Mm-hmm. We talked about this because your book had no quote marks. Mm-hmm. This book has no quote marks. Mm-hmm. What did you think was the purpose of that? Did you, as you're reading mm-hmm. it as a writer, have feelings about it? Did you have an interpretation on that? You know, it's strange because maybe I'm too sensitized to no quotation marks, but I actually didn't even realize it until I was several pages <laughs> in that there were no quote marks. And then I I went back and was thinking, well, why are, are these? And I think there's so much about memory. Remember I was talking about when yeah. you have memories yeah. and you don't know what's real and what isn't. And this character literally has that struggle, right? Like, what is her mother's memories from what are her own? What are the memories of her relationship and what aren't? And so I think in that way, it's able to kind of help assist the reader in in blending those memories, what's real, what isn't, what happened in the past, what's happening now. So in that way, it it kind of jives with my explanation of using it no does. quotation marks, yeah. It totally does. I mean, for me, I was thinking like, she's unreliable. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's something about Candace, even from the beginning. I was like, uh-huh. mm, I don't know about you, girl. Like, there's mm-hmm. just, there's something about her. And I think also because the situation, we start off like that first prologue and it's like, we Googled this, we did this. And at the mm-hmm. end of it, she's like, actually, I didn't do any of that because I wasn't there yet. And I was like, yeah. oh, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know about you. I was like, wait a second. I was with you. You give me five great pages and then all of a sudden you're like, actually, well, I didn't actually do any of that. And so I think I sort of had like a 
suspicion of Candace. And so mm-hmm. I was like, maybe all of this isn't real. And I feel mm. like, and I think maybe that also comes from my nonfiction reading. Like in nonfiction, if you're kind of quoting a gist of something, you don't yeah. use quote marks, right? Yeah, like right, you right. use quote yeah, marks right, when yeah. a person says a quote. So I was sort of like, I don't know. I don't know about her. And also, like to your point, I, you were in my head and I was thinking like, what's memory? What's real? Like, yeah. how does this tie together? So I was also thinking about that, which as the book goes on and memory becomes this like huge factor and like nostalgia, mm-hmm. I think that also sort of tipped me off mm-hmm. to sort of maybe the twist of the book or like the twist of the ending was the the no quote marks. It felt like almost like an Easter egg as I kept yeah. going. Um, but I don't know if I would have felt that as much if you hadn't said that when we talked last yeah. time. Like I was like, I was like, oh, maybe it's something interesting with memory here. Like take note. Um, but um, you know what though? Like, do you trust? Like in the world, would you would you trust more someone who's like, man, I know how this happened, and like you did this, and I have a friend. He, you ask him something that I'm uncertain about. He's like, yeah, no, that was on a Tuesday, man, and we was right over there on Thirty Third Street. It was about one o'clock. I'm like. You sure? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, it's 25 years ago we talking about. Or a person who says, you know, I'm not quite sure. It could have happened like this. And well, no, no, no. Actually, it might have. Like, I think the honesty of mm. misremembering mm-hmm. or not being certain or starting mm-hmm. a story. Like, I, I actually trust that person more than a narrator that has certitude. I, I mistrust certitude. Okay, but here's, let me throw a wrench in this. Uh I am the person who remembers (laughs) shit like that. I have an insane memory for Uh dates and times and like, I remember days of the week. I I won't remember what happened, but I'll be like, oh, I was wearing that purple dress and we were out in front of this. Like, I can see it can't remember what you told me but like i'll I'll be like oh we went to this concert i'm like oh yeah that's when you got your new brown boots like i'll remember shit like that so i do trust it if it's coming from me okay okay (laughs) but i'm not like a total skeptic on it because i do have a good memory but what i think is interesting about what you're saying is that in life i think i might trust someone who's like "Mm, i don't know more but Mm -hmm. in a book i feel like i'm supposed to trust you because you're telling me the story which is why i think unreliable narrators are such a good trope like Mm -hmm. if it's done well and you trick the reader it's such an exciting feeling because 99% of the time you're supposed to like believe (laughs) the author um but like so to but also in the book what she does is she changes her like character's point of view like or like which person third person first person like you know it's like I did this I did that and then in one chapter it's like they did this they did that and then there's the chapter Mm -hmm. where she talks about um, Candace's parents and it's like in 1984 or whatever and it goes like I'm so bad I don't know what person is what but it Mm -hmm. does shift in this book again sort of like these little tells that something is up because that's not usually the mark of an unreliable narrator. Usually with the unreliable narrator, it's like, let's come with me. I'm going to show you about the world. Like, this is my experience. And then at the end, they're like, just kidding. I killed everybody or whatever. (laughs) So I do feel like Ling Ma was like sort of tipping her hand a little Mm -hmm. bit. I I guess we should sort of talk about the ending first and then come back, because I think a lot of like what I want to get into is about what happens in the book. And then a lot of like the bigger themes, I think we should come back to because they kind of like plays in. Um, 
when you got to the end of the book, you finished the book. She's in Chicago. She's driven to Chicago. Um, mm. And then she sees the bridge and she drives towards the bridge. Did you, what, what, like, what was your interpretation of the end of the book? What was your sort of experience with the back half? Uh, well, I thought it, to me, it really shifted once they got to the facility. Yeah. And then, you know, I thought, I mean, again, I'm reading, I'm like, oh, this is a nice plot twist that they, they, we, you know, it was out in front of us for so long. Like, mm-hmm. are they going to make it? What's it going right. to look like? Is it real? Is it real? <laughs> then they finally get there. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, but, but they got there, you know, two thirds of the way through the book. So I'm like, well, shit, something else exciting has to happen because yeah. they already got to the facility. And then when she gets locked in, I'm like, oh, okay. How is this going to resolve? And uh, I I saw, I read the end of it as a as a longing for connection. I think a part of Candace's unreliability is that she spends so much time alone. Ooh, right. So okay. you you spend a lot of time alone. You start, you know, she the only one in there. Remember when she? I guess we can talk about whatever we want, yeah. right? When, Anything when we want. Yeah. <laughs> when she's um, basically one of the last people in the office. And then she hears those voices downstairs. And they're laughing. And they're laughing. And she's like, wait a minute. Like, it's almost like, is her mind playing tricks on her? Mm-hmm. Is it a laugh track or something? And she goes down there and they're there. But I thought, like, you spend that much time, you want some human contact. And if you don't get it, you start going into your mind. You start inventing stories. You start right. thinking your dead mother is talking to you, right? Like, all of these right. things right. that are that are happening to you because you don't have a connection. And I think the end of the book is her wishing, hoping, trying to find a connection. Like, I actually think she's going to look for a homeboy's house. Okay. We have a very different read. Uh, okay. This is how I read the ending. Okay. Candace is fevered. And she gets sick and it's not until she goes back towards because I think the facility is right past Chicago I'm pretty sure they said they had to go past Chicago so she goes back and what we know about the fever is that Mm -hmm. going back and nostalgia is what triggers it perhaps because that's what happens to Ashley and that's what happens to Bob Bob gets it at the facility which is where he grew up Ashley gets it at her house Candace has it she starts to go back and that's what triggers it. And that's why we know that she has it earlier because she's talking to her dead mother. Mm-hmm. We know that something's like amiss with her, but then she goes backwards. She starts having Jonathan's memories. She starts yes. having her childhood memories. And so yeah. that's when she's gone fully triggered. She's mm. driving towards the bridge. And I think it's over. Stop. It's a car accident. It's done. She's totally out of it. So by the end, it's goodbye, Candace. Hello, Shen Fever, another victim. But okay, I can see that. Certainly, I can see that. (laughs) But there has to be people, right? Remember, some people are immune to this. That's what we're told by Candace. And and so here's what I think. That's, I think people are immune to it because those people are the people who didn't go back home when everybody started working from home. It was like everybody Mm. who worked for went, everybody left the offices and then everybody started getting it. And so Mm -hmm. I think that because Candace stayed 
away from people and she stayed in New York and she didn't mm-hmm. look back because she didn't have family. She didn't have anywhere to go. Okay. And it wasn't until she starts to go back and that mm-hmm. ev- I think everyone's actually susceptible to it, mm-hmm. which is like, I feel like she was like planting seeds maybe around it when she was tell- talking about Bob and social media and how social media is just like looking in the past and Candace mm-hmm. wasn't really on social media. So I don't know. There's something like even her social media was like isolated. She wasn't actually connecting with people from her past. She was connecting with people outside of her like New York ghost and they kept her going. So I think that she gets it when she gets in the taxi cab with the taxi cab driver for the second time. Yeah. I think it's Eddie who gets it to her. And then it incubates for a few weeks while she's with the group. And then she starts to go back. You mean Eddie when she first gets in and Eddie is like, I left and then the second time when he's already fevered? When he's already fevered. Because that's a go back. Is that's it? like her second. It's her second time with him. So I think that's like her first nostalgic moment of she's like, but she oh, didn't even Eddie. try to get into the she didn't even know that was Eddie. That was just a random cab. That's true. That's true. That's true. But also, okay, here's my other. So I, this is what I've been working through is when did she get it? Right. Because okay. that's like the trick of the book to me is like, when did she, when did it actually happen for her? But I wonder if actually getting it is tied to nostalgia or if just going to the final step is tied to nostalgia. Like, is it possible that people have it and it's just dormant in them until the nostalgia triggers it? Because they were like, Ashley's totally fine. Yeah, and then all of a sudden she goes full fledged. But okay, so let's say Bob, right? Okay. Bob is sleepwalking every night, right? Because she's fevered. hearing him. Yeah, jingle. But no, jangle. he can't be fevered because if he was fevered, he wouldn't be able to have those conversations. But he can be because the fever takes over slowly. So first you start being like absent-minded. Cause it, wait, let me go to chapter. I think it's 13 where they like take, do the frequently asked questions about it. This is what they say. Because I thought the same thing. Okay, it says symptoms. In its initial stages, Shen fever is difficult to detect. Early symptoms include memory lapse, headaches, disorientation, shortness of breath, and fatigue. Because these symptoms are often taken for a common cold, patients are often unaware they have contracted Shen fever. They may appear functional and are still able to execute rote, everyday tasks. However, these symptoms will worsen. Yeah. So it's possible that Bob but was like, what okay. Did Bob, what symptom did Bob exhibit? He never was sick. The, the things that he's doing. he Right. But if he was sleepwalking, then that seems like that was the fever. Right. So, but because he was doing it at the mall. So it got right. triggered at the mall for him. And it got worse and worse. But maybe he hadn't gone full fevered. She just happened to catch him in that moment where she could tell he was fevered. Okay. But she catch she remember she hears Bob. She hears it, but she doesn't see well him. before. Like yeah. for, for weeks or something. For a while. She's yeah. hearing him walk. But even after that, he's it's not like what he's doing is road. He's not getting up doing the same thing. He's actually Go here, do this, direct that, get this, well, don't says do that. They can do ex- execute functions. So, like, I think he's maybe early onset fever. Okay. 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 I love and you're like so- looking at me so skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> it had not occurred. I mean, not till in the end. I'm like, oh, how did he get it? But I didn't see, I, didn't, I guess I didn't see it coming. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't But that I don't conversation, think that I, certainly. Yes. I didn't see it coming. 
But I had a sense early in the book, I had this like idea pop into my head of like, what if Candace is fevered? Because there was a few, there was a one moment early on, her timeline in New York was off. She talked about 9-11, like it was like the anniversary of 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then she went back and she said something. And then she's like, and then by the end of late August, and I was like, wait, I thought we were already at 9-11. And so that, for whatever reason, tripped mm. me up. I didn't like, get that. It was just like, a because again, I'm a dates person. So, and I'm trying also to orient the pregnancy because I could not figure out how far along she really was, how long, yeah. like, I, I, was she actually pregnant? Do we know? I mean, it seemed like a really long pregnancy. Yeah. I, it's kind of hard to tell because she's pregnant before everybody leaves the facility, no, leaves her job, right? So Yeah, because she's pregnant how, when the boyfriend leaves. And Jonathan. then she makes it all the way to her date. Right to the date where she gets the big check, she makes that all the yes, way. Yes, that's November thirtieth. Yes, and all of that is before they actually get on the road to go to the facility. Right, that's before she even joins up with. Yeah, them. yeah. And then so however long that takes, and then she's in the facility for a month or two before. We know that we get at least to Christmas because yes. she says to the girl, "Is this Christmas?" And she said, yeah. "Girl, Christmas already happened." Yeah. So, so I don't know. It's January. like a long. Not that it couldn't. That I mean, surely all that stuff could happen in nine months. But it, it was like, wow, you you've been pregnant a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, but I do think she's pregnant though, because she's saying but she wasn't she's showing. It. Nobody was. Nobody could see. Like she, she, she did wasn't say showing she in got, the beginning. She wasn't showing when she went to Ashley's house because only the one other girl knew, Janelle mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that still would have been months later because she would have been pregnant on September 11th and that's past November 30th. So she's at least three months pregnant at the very least. But it sounded like September 11th was a little bit further into the thing. Yeah. So I feel like she was like four or five months. She says she's five months pregnant, but she also said she lied about that to Bob because she said, I didn't want to tell him exactly. But I don't know if she lied over or under or what. Right, right, right. Like, it's just so, that was so, I was like trying to figure it out. I know there's some smart listener who's going to be like, okay, she was exactly 34 weeks or whatever. So please tell me, (laughs) smart person listening. I know you know. Um, Okay, so that's my theory of what happened. I'm going like to buy the, the 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 fever now because I kept thinking, why the hell isn't she stopping for gas? Right? Because right? she knows she's about to run out. But then I'm like, well, I guess she's le- she's becoming more fever. I'm like, well, why wouldn't, would she even recognize that? You know, like Eddie was just driving. Remember when she stopped him and she was like, his yeah. foot was still on the gas? On the gas. So... She might not be as fevered though, right? Yeah. Like it like gets worse and worse and worse. So maybe yeah. she's just like in a state. Yeah. Well, this sucks because that means I just thought I was hoping that some people would just be immune. I was like thinking about COVID. Like there's some people who right. just never got COVID. Right. 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 Maybe that if I would have read this in 2018, I might have thought differently. But having gone through COVID, mm. I was like, nah, somebody got yeah. to be immune from this stuff. Please. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, she doesn't really tell us the truth. She being Ling Ma doesn't really tell us the truth of what Shen fever is. She leaves Mm -hmm. it open enough that a lot is possible. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, one of the things that's so cool about this book, having lived through COVID and reading it, you know, I know a lot of people read it in like early 2020 and I was like, what is wrong with you? Do not do this to yourself. (laughs) But 
reading it like after a little bit of time, I it was so fun seeing all the things she got right. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the masking, but also yeah, the anti-masking. Yeah, yeah. And like the yeah. way that Candace like, oh, it makes my face hot. I don't like to wear it. I'm like, yeah. bitch, yeah. stop. <laughs> wear the fucking mask, Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and then like the work from home stuff yeah. and the travel ban. And mm-hmm. then she had this one email where she was writing to Balthazar back in China. And she mm-hmm. was like, given these trying times. And mm-hmm. I was like, if I never see that sentence yeah. again, it will be too soon. <laughs> that was like the most triggering thing in the whole book of given yeah. these trying times and like yeah. in these difficult times. And then like she even had that people had like fashion masks. Because mm-hmm. remember that yeah. was like a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were just so many like little details that I was really kind of like stunned by that she wrote it before. Exactly. We're so specific. I'm like, did the people in charge of America, did they read this book? And that's why they, they did a travel <laughs> ban. Like, but what's that movie? Um, Contagion. Contagion. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, never they pretty that. much get all of it. Right. <laughs> they do. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess somewhere there's gotta be some booklet on what you do during pandemics. During and and they're just, Read, not ju- not to d- diminish what right. uh, Ling did, but there is so spot on that it, it must right. be a handbook somewhere. Right. This is I want to know the research <laughs> for this thing. Me too. Well, yeah. did you read Station Eleven no. by Emily? Okay, so I read that in 2018 before COVID. I think yeah. the book came out in like 2014. So I read it a little bit after it came out, but before COVID. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember her getting as much stuff right about like pandemic. She, her, her version of pandemic was much, I mean, there was definitely like the hoarding of groceries that was big in her book, but she didn't talk about like masking or like, it was much more about like individual people's experiences. So I think this book, uh, severance felt so spot on, but I also think maybe I was reading for it. I wonder if I had read this before the pandemic, if I would have even noticed the N95 mask stuff. Like it was so, oh my God, this. Where, um, in, in, in station 11, where did it come from? Whatever the virus was. I I honestly can't remember. I read it so long ago. (laughs) Well, I I think think that's also something that was really spot on about this, you know, like the, where it came from and and what that meant. You know, I remember everybody was like anti-Asian, really scared, you know, like that. And the travel ban being more extreme on Asian countries. Yeah. Totally. Also yeah. because she actually goes there. And that's that's a thing about the how capacious this book is. It's like it's set in, you know, we get the Midwest, we get New York, we yeah. get We get uh, Utah. Those, we get Utah, we get those places in China. Like it's it's a bunch of different places. And we get to see, you know, all of them and get to see the culture. So I thought that was also really I mean, for a for a debut novel, this is ambitious ambitious. Yeah. Okay, wait, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about some of that ambition. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. 
The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back. We were talking about ambition, and I do think this novel is really ambitious. I also think for the most part, she pulls it off. It's well executed. I can be so nitpicky, especially when I know a book is a debut. I'm like, why did they do this? Why did they do that? But I was really, I I felt like she hit so many of the right marks and like had so much good criticism. Like one of the things that sticks out to me is like Candace getting locked up and like in the mall of all places. And like this book is like a critique of capitalism. I'm like, right, you can't have capitalism without a mall, but you also can't have capitalism without incarceration. You know, like you just can't, like you can't, like the fact that that was represented in the book to me mm-hmm. was just like, I, I was shocked when they closed the grate, but I was also like, oh, of course, because yeah. this is a critique of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, also like wealth, you know, and, wealth. and its relationship, right? The art girls and how the they art. buy the paintings and they're living off their trust fund and, and also class stratification, right? Because Candace is not poor. Like she could live right. for a long time off of her trust fund. And what does that mean? Yeah, I thought she she got a lot of big, big stuff uh, she was tackling. Yeah. And, and also then like the the check that comes Ooh. from her staying. Yeah. Okay. How much money would you have to get to stay in a plague? Oh, I don't know. 
I, I couldn't I think know. of a number. Yeah, I don't know. But, Even but if you, if okay, but let's say you were though? single and in your 20s. Yeah, let's yeah. not say now because I know we're both parents. Like, yeah. we got a lot to lose at this yeah. point in our lives. But in your, tw- mm. I mean, I was in New York in 2011, mostly single. I just met my partner, who's my husband now, but I was, you know, that was my life. I was post-college teaching kids dance. Yeah. If my dance work, mm-hmm. I, I, but st- I don't know, a million? Uh, well, I get it depends because Candace already has a mini trust fund. Right. But she said that the amount they offered would be like life changing for her. Yes. Um, I, I, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, it, a million would be like the low end. The low end. Well, yeah. that's what I think now, but I'm like, right. But yeah, I probably I'm saying, you taken something and a worker. I'm going to take in like 10 G's, yeah. honestly. I mean, I, like I said, I was teaching kids dance like after school. So who I would have taken probably man, I had plenty of those men. If you win the lottery, what you going to do? Like I, I, it, yeah. it, I definitely had those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. But so should we know she had worked there for five years? We know she's like a salaried employee. It's New mm-hmm. York City. So she'd moved up a little bit in the yeah. business, but not a lot. So she was probably making seventy five thousand dollars in 2011. Don't you mm-hmm. think? Yeah. yeah. Probably somewhere around there. It's got to be at least like, because she was like, whoa, my bank account. So it's got to be at least like 250000 Yeah. 500000 Got to be. I would say like, well, how long did she work again? Was it three months or? I think it was just one month. Just one month? I think it was just the end of 30 days. Oh, that I don't I, remember that letter. Uh, I don't know if I can find she, it. I remember it was no. Was it November 11th? November 30th is when the yes. check came through, I'm pretty sure. Right. But I don't know when they left, though. Right. Um, I mean, for 30 days? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, I'll stay. <laughs> I'm staying for 30. I could. I, I'm, yeah, I'll work it out. Yeah, I don't remember. But uh, I do think that when I saw her get the money, I was like, yeah. oh, that's cool. But one, I was like, well, how many ATM? Like, what's the banking system? Because I, well, I was like, was, who's even taking money? Right. So like, I was like, what? She's saying something about how at the end of all of this, the money actually doesn't even matter. Right. Yeah. Right. That felt very clear. Like, that yeah. was the answer of like, it doesn't matter. But it also felt like, at least in my reading of it, of like, family doesn't even matter either. <laughs> Like people went home and everybody just died. Like it yeah. sort of felt like but they sort died of like a, together. Sure. They died together. Yeah. You don't die lonely. No. Well, yeah, I guess unless you're the survivors. But yeah, no, it definitely felt like even when they were being like, hey, Candace. I mean, I think because we knew that things were going to go bad. But being like, hey, if you stay for 30 days, like. We'll give you a lot of money. I was like, girl, that money's not going to be worth yeah. anything. <laughs> it's not, it's going to be worth less than toilet paper. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I definitely I definitely had that exact same thought. I mean, I think she's also like, I think there's something interesting happening in the book around religion as well. Yes. Like Candace sure. works with the Bible, uh-huh. but I think like Bob is a cult leader essentially, right? And then also her parents' relationship to religion through community and like com- like yeah. finding that Chinese communal Christian yeah. center, the CCCC or whatever. And I was thinking a lot about like 
this might be, I'm not a, I'm famously not a very deep reader, but for some reason I felt like I was really trying to find connections in this book. I feel like they're sort of like waiting for you to pick them. And one of the things I thought a lot about was like religion as plague Mm. and like the way that like religion spreads similarly where it's like at first her parents get to Utah and they just go to the church to find other Chinese people. And then it becomes like their whole life and the mom's starting programs and it becomes this whole cultural communal thing. And we see a similar thing with Bob, right? It's like, Bob's just kind of like the guy who knows where the facility is. And then the next thing you know, Bob's got people locked up. Bob's like got all the keys. He's killing people with sacrifices. Bob's (laughs) shooting people in the face. Like, I'm just like, this is, and it felt in that same way of like, at first it's just a little thing. And then the next thing you know, and like, there seem to be other sort of like metaphors as plague too. Like the storm sort of felt similar. Yeah. That was coming, right? That same kind of vibe. I don't know. Did you live in New York during any of the hurricanes? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So same. And it felt really similar to that too of like, oh, there's this little storm coming and people being like, well, let's go out and get like, let's go get free hurricanes at the like New Orleans (laughs) bar. And then it's like all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's pouring rain. You can't get a cab. You're outside. You're freaked out. And that like felt so much like, um, like the like the plague too. Like I, I don't I don't know exactly what the connection was, but I kept seeing that like repetitive feeling of like, oh, this feels really familiar. But I didn't quite did you did you feel like you had a clear grasp of like what her critique of religion was or like why she chose Bibles for Candace? I think it was something about the like religion and faith without spirituality. Mm. because remember the mom gets into it for like social yeah right to be social with the other women and she's Mm -hmm. helping plan the stuff and it's like cultural to her like they can get teach the kids chinese right and though she prays it feels almost rote as in like it's not really like faith in a higher being and spirituality, right. but more like I'm gonna do this thing because uh, it it feels like a routine for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the same thing with the Bibles, right? Like the people who are making these Bibles don't right. really care about faith; they care about putting gemstones in them or you know what the paper <laughs> yeah. is like. And so I think it's like the commodification of religion, but then also like how religion persists without faith like the faithless in religion yeah that's interesting I hadn't thought about it like that but that does sound like that sounds right right because it's like she works in bibles but she's not religious and like the gemstone stuff and the same like what you're saying with the mom totally um this book when I like looked at the marketing copy or whatever it calls it a satire and I would never classify this book as a satire. But then I Googled the definition of satire. Okay. The use of, yeah, the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues. Okay. Satire I know. Is Is that right? (laughs) That's exactly my reaction. Because I was thinking this was going to be a, funnier book yeah definitely because not funny sat- no and i kept trying to read it and be like is this funny and be mm-hmm. like no it's not no. funny and i like <laughs> i like to laugh but it was not yeah. it was not giving it i uh, don't think i laughed 
once in this book. I mean, maybe I, I did, might have but like I chuckled, don't, but I don't remember laughing. I don't remember I'm laughing like, this is either. Some serious sad shit happening right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? I you know a moment where I was like, I don't trust Candace again. Mm-hmm. Because Candace really likes Pepsi. And mm. I'm like, who likes Pepsi <laughs> over Coke? <laughs> I was like, something's off with this girl. <laughs> I don't know. But it, that I feel like that's one of those things with reading. It's like, as a reader, there can be something that is totally not intentional. I assume there are people who like Pepsi in this world. I don't know them. Yeah. But to <laughs> me, a person who like loves Coke, yeah. I'm just like... I, I can't tr- like it was like a weird tip for me like it, gen- yeah. it genuinely was a tip off where I was yeah. like something's wrong with her but I'm sure if you liked Pepsi you'd never think that for a second yeah 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 I, I you know what I was thinking about remember the shark fin party yes I thought that was so brilliant right like Okay, first she more. tells us about the sharks and yeah. they kill the damn sharks for the fins and let them bleed out in the ocean. Like, oh my God, like I'm not an envi- yeah. well, I guess I'm everybody's not an environmentalist, but like I wouldn't be out with posters going, save the sharks. Right. But right, right, right. I clearly could see we don't need to have no shark fin soup. And then right. she makes the soup and it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if the fin yeah. was too old or something. I was like, wow, we're really out here just fucking up the world for bad soup. For bad soup, too. Also, like, soup is such a a food that, like, traditionally is made out of, like, the worst ingredients. You know, it's like you can use use chicken bone. Like, you don't need, you know? So it's, like, interesting that they would use this, like, such a valuable ingredient to make such a, like, you know, every man's kind of food. Um, Yeah. And that and the soup, like there's so much there's so many things in the book that like come back a few times, like this like memory. It's like the the boyfriend's retainers. Yes, they pop yes. up a few times. Yeah, Again, yeah. all of these things are things that made me think like she's fevered because she keeps telling us about these same things like throughout where I'm just like, okay, you already told us about the retainer, but then there's like a slight shift and it's like, Oh, he left, like he was really good with his retainers. Then he left his retainer. So maybe he was fevered. Like maybe we know he's dead because he was fevered and he was yeah. really good about being with his retainers. And Do then we he know left he's them. dead. He's not I don't nostalgic. Know. Well, I, he's not nostalgic, but he left his retainers and he was really good <laughs> about taking care of his retainers. So I don't know. Like there's just so many little things like that. He was trying to like, get back to the house. That's a, that's a, you know, it's prime move right there. Oh, that's can I true. come back and get my retainer? That's true. Jonathan was a, Jonathan was smooth. Jonathan, <laughs> he was coming up the fire escape yeah. like, hey, hey, guys. Jonathan oh was you, a hater. Remember when they first met and she was up there with the other dude? Oh, with the other dude, Steven and then he's or whatever. Leaving, going down the uh, going down the fire yeah. escape and he goes, he's not good for you or something. I'm like, yeah. oh, you hate Or he's like, hope you enjoy that yeah. or something. I'm like, okay, Jonathan. <laughs> I I have, okay, is Jonathan White? Gotta be. Okay, that's what I thought too. Yeah, no, but I was like, yeah. it was but, it's hard to tell. It felt like everybody was re- white around yeah, her. Yeah. Besides her parents. I agree. But I was like, is Jonathan White? Who yeah, knows? Jonathan White. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Classic good, good. white classic, boy. Classic, classic <laughs> white boy. With his on retainers. the road, white boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like wants to go on this boat or whatever. Yeah. Oh, oh, I know what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Ashley's house. Oh, that my God. scene with the that maggots. That was so harrowing. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. That's, I think that scene is when I got captured in the book. Because mm-hmm. I think that that scene made it, brought other characters in that I could hold on to and kind of track. Mm-hmm. And also, that scene made me sick. Like, I couldn't sleep through that. Yeah, that was. That was. <laughs> that that was, was tough. And, and, like, trying to figure out what was happening. Because that was, like, sort of. That was sort of the first time, like, we saw the fever in any real... Like, we saw the girl at the house when they did their first stalk, but that was sort of unclear. Um, and and the part where Candace, like, needed something clean to anchor her and there was nothing clean in the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. And that also felt like early COVID. Like, I remember one of the first times after COVID had started, I had to go to Target. Uh-huh. And I had, like, a mask on and just feeling so overwhelmed because they were, like... 20 people in the target and yeah. I'd been like alone and being like, Oh my God, I need to get out of here. Like I'm so, and like feeling my mask get hot and like, I, I don't even think I took my mask off till I got all the way home. Like it was just so, and that, I think that like frenetic energy and like ick feeling was really captured. Absolutely. Well in that scene. And then Bob goes back with them the next day do we think that Janelle jumped in front or do we think that Bob killed Janelle? I think she jumped in front. I don't think Bob would have killed her unless she was demonstrating signs of being fevered, but that wasn't her home. So why right. would she? And he didn't say that. He just said she jumped yeah. in front. I, I distrusted Bob instantly as well. Yeah. So I thought Bob did a murder. I That's actually where I, where I thought the book was going at that point. I thought it was going to be like Bob does murders. Uh-huh. And so at that point, I did think that, though I think you're probably right. He probably didn't kill her. Not but I love a murder. Yeah. I but, love a but murder. He, but he was not, he was like, okay, let's not talk about it. Like, he, it wasn't like he yeah. was remorseful or anything. Like, right. Yeah, but also remember, he had killed all those other fevered people. So yeah, he was and he said that's like the kind serial thing to killer. do. Right, but he was doing it as like a mercy kill is how Still. he would say I mean, yeah. I'm with you. I yeah. love a murder, so I'm going to say it's a murder. Yeah. But do we, okay, do we think he murdered Evan or do we think Evan did a suicide? I think Evan did a suicide. Okay, see, I wanted him to murder Evan too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I just felt it his, was a murder. His, his murder was guns and Evan had the pills. The pills. And no one else knew that Evan had the pills, I think, besides Candace. So right. then why would the pill, remember they said the pills were like, out of a bag or something near his yeah. head or something. So I think that's like, he, unless he put a gun to his head and said, take these seven pills. Oh, I thought maybe he like drugged him, like put a lot of pills in a drink or something. Because remember, Evan was like really sucking up to Bob. And yes. so I thought, and they I got thought an maybe, argument. but what was the argument? I think it was because Evan didn't get a chance to leave. Remember? He wanted he was to the just second get out. guy who couldn't leave. Right. But, but he Evan could was, walk around. I'm like, why didn't he Evan's get locked guilt. up? Is what Ooh. did it? Okay, because he About betrayed Candace, and I think oh, that okay. you know that he couldn't like he betrayed Candace thinking it was going to be better for him, and mm-hmm. he was living in an equal hell. So you oh, messed up Candace's life, you still mm. messed up your life, and I feel like that guilt because remember he was like he couldn't look at her when he was walking yeah. around and all yeah. that. So I think he was really overcome with guilt. Ooh, that's such a better reading than a second murder. Okay, I'm going to go with that. I think it was his guilt. I really like that. I think that was right. Um. I'm going to ask her. 
I need answers, Ling. We need answers. Yeah, we need answers. <laughs> but okay, but would you really want answers? Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Me neither. Me neither. Before I, we get to your know. next question, can we okay. talk about Michael? Because I like Michael. Michael, the owner of Spectra. Yes. Talk I think he's a him. good guy. He's a family you know, man. He's a family man. He does it for the kids. Remember when she's about to quit the first time and he's like, uh-huh. are you sure? Yeah. Maybe you should think about this and- you know, everybody can't do what they want and you're good at this thing. And yeah, she comes back and then to give her that settlement because they could have he could have tricked her. He could have been like, well, you know what? We're actually yeah. folding on November 29th and right. you don't get the right. check. But the money came through. So right. I felt like he actually cared about his hmm. workers. OK, I I see that. I see okay, that reading. But I see that reading. <laughs> I don't disagree with it. I'm just going to throw out another option. Okay. Michael is a capitalist and he is the face of business in this book. And he is the one owner of a company that we actually get to know. Mm -hmm. And what do we know that he does? He has a lazy boy, fancy chair in his office for sleeping. He's got a beautiful office. He convinces his worker who wants to quit and go off and do bigger and better things that she should stay because she's not going to be worth it. (laughs) She's not going to be able to do what she wants to do. But she didn't have Uh, a plan though. It isn't, he didn't convince know, her not to do what he, she wanted to do. He, he just like, do you want to convinced her not to leave. Yes. Sometimes you just need freedom and space to like get out into the world. And he was like, no, keep working for us. And then he convinces her to stay and die in the office so that he can go home and be with his family. But he offered her to her and he said, look, don't sign this right now. I need you to go read this over. Because she was like, let me sign. She was like, no, no, no. I want you to go read this over and think like that's not. I mean, that's that's like yeah. some kind Maybe of he's coercion. A benevol- he's like a benevolent slave owner, you know, one of those. <laughs> the nice, the nice owner of a business that has a high rise in New York City. Um, <laughs> I did like him. I did. I didn't dislike him, but mm-hmm. I also was like Michael with his little HR being like you know, look it over and her being like, no, I'm going to do it. I mean, he did sort of dissuade. So maybe he had a conscience, mm-hmm. but he didn't make a huge impression on me if I'm being honest. Okay. Well, I, I just thought he was going to be like a shit dude. And he turned yeah. out to be like, of all the men that we meet in this story. The best. The best. Really? Yeah, definitely the best. Besides her dad. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which we don't technically meet him, but like in yeah. her memory, he's. Yeah. He's the best, even though he lets the mom be the bad guy and he just gets to have KFC with her (laughs) and but and Pepsi. So who knows? (laughs) Can't be trusted. Um, I do want to talk about the title Mm -hmm. um, and the cover because I think we're sort of running out of time. Um, The first time the title comes up is on page 136, at least to my reading. Mm -hmm. I might have missed it before where she talks about Jonathan's job and his severance policy changing. Mm hmm. And like them keep the is he like works in media and they mm-hmm. keep firing yeah 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 the old the people because are they keep changing the severance policy so that the old people quit and then basically it's like a bunch of junior employees and then the second time it came up is in that KFC scene with the dad on one eighty eight yeah and the dad has sever has severance finally has severance from, from the, China yeah mm-hmm. and I thought it was really interesting that she uses it in those two different ways but then I wasn't sure what she meant. For the title of this book. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure why this book is called Severance, necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I actually hadn't thought that much about it. Um, <laughs> but when you said that, I was thinking about 
you need severance in order not to be nostalgic. Mm, right? Like and that hard break. That hard. Because anybody that don't have the hard break in this book is dying. Um, mm, so there's something about that's you know good. looking forward, not looking back, not trying to revisit. And like severance is a break from the past. And um, to that point, she says about her dad... It, the sentence where she says about her dad, she says, my father rarely spoke of the past and perhaps it was only after having officialized his severance from China that he felt free to speak openly of his life there. Mm-hmm. So that really goes to your point of like, yeah. it's not until he's fully American, yeah. Americanized, that he, yeah. he can even look back. Yeah. That's good, Mitchell. Okay, that, I'll take it. See, you got to pull it, sir. This is why. <laughs> that right there. Call those people. Tell them we need another one. <laughs> what did you think of the cover? It's um, pink. It has like a sticker that says severance and then Ling Ma kind of like an introductory t- sticker at like a conference. And then yeah. there's sort of some peeling away at the top of yeah. the wall. I that's remember looking at it them. in the beginning and I was like, I really like it. I like the... Um, I like all the aspects that you talked about, and then that it's minimalist too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I like. I think it's it's like the book. There's a lot of different things to in, interpret, right? There's the picador sign. There's the a novel at the bottom of it, right? Right. There's the name tag for corporate America. Um, so yeah, I just think there's a lot of intentionality um, with this cover, yeah. and I think the pink also stood out on stands. You know, they always saying you need a cover yeah. that's gonna stand out. I I like it aesthetically, like it's pleasing to my eye. I don't know that it really captures the book to me. Mm-hmm. Like I think, a, like after reading the book, I kind of get it, but like I don't know that this that looking at this book feels like what the book is necessarily. And I think it's interesting because the cover designer Rodrigo Corral, he's one of my favorites. Mm. He does a lot of the FSG covers. Mm-hmm. Um, Did and he do he, blackouts by? Justin Torres. Oh, he might have. I don't know his. They I never, love these, that cover. I do love that cover. He did American Gun, that orange book that came out this year that has a giant AK forty seven on the cover. Mm, I haven't seen that. He does a lot of like he does a lot of FSG covers and he does a lot of covers that are sort of like minimalist. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think that tracks. I I really like his stuff. So I was a little bit surprised because I I'm not sh- like I just I don't think this cover is great. I don't mm. think it's bad. It's just mm. like it's pink to me. It's like oh yeah. that pink book. Yeah. Um. Would this book make a good movie or TV show? For sure. Right? Yeah. Or really, yeah, I, mean, I think it would make if, a great series if, where you yes. could go into people's backstories. Like, yeah. I would love an episode on Bob. Yes. Yes. Like, what was Bob's life like? Yeah. What happened to Bob? Mm-hmm. I would love an episode on Blythe. Yes. The, the rich yes. art girl. The rich art girl. Yes. 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 Yeah. I definitely think so. Um, and then another thing we do on the show when we when we think something would be good. Do you have any idea of who you would cast in any of those parts from from the book? Anybody that you had like a clear vision in your mind? Oh, well, you would have to cast Candace first, and I don't I don't I know. thought the girl Stephanie Shu from um Everything Everywhere All at Once. Ah, like yeah, 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 yeah. She's yeah, a great yeah, she's actress. Good. She is NYU good. grad also, so yeah, shout out yeah, to she's us. Good. Okay. Um, but I okay, I was really I was like, who could be Bob? Yeah. And I came I was, up with two things. Bobs. Okay. Jesse Plemons. Basically, every time you see him in a show, you're like, oh, something's bad. But he was in Friday Night Lights. Um, oh, yeah. I know who you know him. About. 
I also would but say he's young though. I felt like Bob was like oh. fifty. This See, I thought 35. Bob was like in his. I thought Bob was giving like forties. Bob was sort of giving me like um, Ted Cruz politician vibe, yeah. like sort of a young monster. Yeah, Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. not fully old, which is also like, why are you in charge? Like you're not the oldest person. Well, that's why I was saying not- I felt like he was kind of. But they're also in their twenties though, too, right? These are millennials. they're in their twenties, so, so, so he still would have been older. He could still be significantly yeah. older. Okay. All right. I also thought of Joseph Gordon-Levitt because there's something yes. creepy about him to me. Yes, 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 yes. He's yes. giving, he's giving creepy. Yeah. And who else did I have? Um, oh, do you watch The Bear? Mm-mm. I don't watch any TV. Okay. Well, the lead guy in The Bear, His Jeremy name. Allen White, Jeremy Allen White, he is who I pictured as Jonathan. Okay, Jeremy Allen. He no gives, question. I, he, I, yeah. That hair, that's <laughs> that what hair? I see. That's Jonathan. That's, that's exactly right. It's yeah. the hair. It's the, I look like I could quit my job and yeah. do anything I want and go smoke a cigarette at any time. Um, I didn't come up with a lot of other people, but those were the ones that I was like. Yeah, nah, that's him. That's homie right yeah. there. Yeah, he got okay. a book okay. in his back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Catcher in the rye specifically. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. this was so much fun Mitchell thank you so much for doing this this was yeah. like uh, I was so excited that you were going to come on the show but this is <laughs> the exact right book for us just nonsense yeah alright I appreciate it yeah this is fun I'm glad I got a chance to read it now I can get back in the bliss montage and have a good talk with her yes yes and then if you find out anything you'll have to report back to me I will um, oh. everybody else make sure you go get your copy of Fly and you can get it anywhere you get your books. It's on my gift guide for some of the best books for people who are into pop culture and sports. It's a really beautiful book. It's going to make a great gift for that family member that is going to be on the couch Christmas Day watching all the games. <laughs> That's the person you want to get the book for. And uh, yeah, everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, folks, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Mitchell S. Jackson for returning to the show and being my guest. I'd also like to thank Alana Gold for helping to make this conversation possible. All right, now it is time to announce our December book club pick. It's a play. You might have heard of it. It's called Romeo and Juliet. You know, by William Shakespeare, the timeless tale of star-crossed lovers. We have never done a Shakespeare book on the show, but that changes finally at the end of our fifth year. You'll have to listen on December 6th to find out who our guest will be. And on December 27th, we will have our book club discussion of Romeo and Juliet. Happy reading. If you love the show and you want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the stacks, follow us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram, threads, and TikTok, and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter. You can check out our website at the This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Thomas.